originating mortgages through mortgage brokers is the most expensive acquisition channel for me as a lender. And so, you know, that's always a tough thing because spreads you're challenged by cost of funds, interest rate movements in the market that happen on a daily basis and can squeeze your margins, but your acquisition costs are always fixed. And I have no problem paying as long as I can achieve the efficiencies that I need in the business. So that's always sort of the trade-off. But I think a broker should be optimistic. They have lots to look forward to. They'll continue, you know, as the report said, they're picking up market share. The most inspiring stories from today's most successful mortgage brokers. Join your host, Scott Peckford, on I Love Mortgage Brokering. Hey, Broker Nation. Scott Peckford here to the show. I have actually several guests. We take clips from some of our most downloaded episodes this year just to give you some inspiration to you know carry into the next year into 2022. I think 2022 is going to be an amazing year. Yeah, there's lots of crap going on. But personally, just every day when somebody asks me how I'm doing, I'm like, I'm just excited to be alive. Here's how my mindset works. I look back and I go, look, if I look back 100 years ago, the infant mortality rate in Canada was 187 kids out of 1,000 would die. 200 years ago, it was like 330, which means, you know, 330 kids out of 1,000 wouldn't even make it to five. Your average life expectancy 200 years ago was like 40 years old. Then 100 years ago, it was like in its 50s. Now today, it's in its 80s. And I think, yeah, there's lots of things we need to improve and people are talking about this and that and all the nonsense that goes on. But I go, yeah, okay, we've come a long way and we still live in an amazing time. Doesn't mean we need to stop improving. So I don't believe in that at all. I do believe we need to continue to improve. But sometimes we just need to look back and be grateful. They're like, man, I'm glad I wasn't born 200 years ago because I'd probably already be dead, right? Or if I was born, you know, 100, the 200, I've got three kids. One of them probably wouldn't be around. And so just the stuff that we take for granted, it's so easy. It's kind of like you take your health for granted until you get sick and you're like, oh my gosh, I can't believe, I just wish I felt normal. I think it's the same thing. We live in an amazing time. And if you live in Canada or the US, even with all the crap that we have going on, I still think that life is amazing. The opportunities are amazing. And I am so excited about 2022. I think that, you know, with the technology and you get around the right people, I cannot wait to see what's going to happen in 2022. You know, I've got a multi-stage plan of things that we're rolling out. And I cannot wait to bring this stuff to you guys in the coming months and quarters as we slowly roll that stuff out. But enough of all that stuff. Let's talk about some of the podcast episodes. Actually, first, let me give a shout out to our title sponsor. So our title sponsor is finmo.ca. They're a Canadian mortgage application, document collection, submission platform. Very easy to use, easy for borrowers, easy for brokers. You've got smart docs. It connects with Lender Spotlight. You can search all of your rates and guidelines. Go check them out, finmo.ca. The average mortgage broker saves three 24-hour periods, so 72 hours using the technology that they've developed. So go check them out. So I've got a bunch of clips to share with you. So the first is with Jacob Perez. Jacob funded 364 mortgages in his first three years. He's actually looking at becoming a coach at our academy in 2022. So keep your eyes open for that. You can go to 10loansamonth.com to get on the wait list. But have a listen to this conversation that I have with Jacob. What's a quote that's really had an impact on your life or business? Yeah, so I'm really, really big in the whole personal development space. So there's a few that really mean something to me. So the first thing is you become what you think about. So I'm really, really intentional with the thoughts I put in my head. So I'm having positive thoughts. I'm thinking good things for my future. So that's what I'm tracking into my life. And then another one I kind of learned a couple of years ago that I really, really live by when it comes to the mortgage business. And it's if you're not growing, you're dying. 
So a lot of people in this industry, you know, they might be happy with the amount of money they made the year before. And they might say, you know what, I just want to make the same amount of money, but actually get more time back. And that's great. But what I really believe is, you know, you have to always be growing your business because there's no such thing as kind of like idling in this industry. And especially if you built a good operation, usually what that means is you have a really good team and you have a really engaged staff base and those people want to grow too. So in order to grow their careers and their goals and things like that, you have to keep pushing your operation, you know, as far as you possibly can. So I think that for me, you know, if you're not growing, you're dying. That's really important because there's definitely times where I'm like, you know what, I'm a little bit tired of this. I want to retire in three to five years if I can make that happen. But then I just come back to you like, no, <laughs> like I'm going to be in this for a long haul. I'm going to make sure we keep growing this thing. So there's always failure. Obviously, dude, you're doing amazing for your age. You know, not everything works out, but when you have failure, look back, there's a lesson. So you think of something, a time where you failed at it, but now looking back, there was a lesson for you? Yeah, you know, things have gone really, really good for me in mortgages. You know, it didn't always feel like it was going that amazing, but, you know, things have really moved quickly. So I'm definitely very grateful. I would say there's really any failure I've had, especially like in this industry specifically. I think early on, I was too narrowly focused on realtor relationships. And coming in, I thought, you know, the whole way you built your business was, make a million best friends who are realtors, work with as many realtors as possible. And, you know, that's definitely a good source of referrals, a good source of leads, a great way to build your database. But what I found was, you know, when I started trying to do things I felt were like more true to me, which was writing content, making video, helping show people how to make money through real estate, things like that. That's when I started getting way more organic growth in the business. And then naturally I was getting more referral partners coming to me. So I think a lot of times, you know, we make the mistake of, reaching out to too many real estate agents to try to build relationships versus building your own brand. So maybe they start reaching out to you and kind of changing the power dynamic in that standpoint. I think I had a lot of failures in terms of it felt like I wasn't building a lot of relationships early. And if I focus more on the content side, I think it would have grown maybe even faster. For anyone listening, I highly, highly recommend you involve yourself in coaching. Okay, whether it's business coaching, personal development coaching, you know, you can do coaching with Scott or whoever, right? But any form of coaching, you're definitely going to see a takeaway from, right? And especially in this industry where we're commission based, where one commission can pay for your program theoretically, sometimes, you know, it's a no brainer to be involving yourself in coaching if you're not where you are right now with Scott, your program specifically, I think, you know, if I take away anything, I would take away that, you know, everything works. So everything you try in this industry really actually works. It's just, will it work tomorrow? Does it come to fruition in six months or what have you, right? So there was one part of the program, for example, where, you know, you had us build a specific type of slide presentation to attract realtor partners. I remember thinking, you know, this slide presentation, I didn't think it was going to be that good. It would do much for me, things like that. And, you know, I had a few meetings with it and I didn't really feel like I was making any traction with it, but you know, because I had that presentation, I did reach out and make a few extra contacts that I may not have done. And one of those meetings led to me getting a speaking gig. That speaking gig ended up connecting me with the biggest YouTube channel in real estate investing in Canada. They did five or six videos with me. Those videos dripped me like probably two or three deals per month, right? So everything works. You don't know how it's going to work. And if you just right. put you your faith you don't, in exactly, anything, you don't, that's, that's hilarious. You actually don't know the outcome of it, but the reaching out, starting the process, that's awesome, dude. That's crazy. Sorry to mean to drop yeah. that. No, no. So that's really it. Everything works, right? You know, you're never going to lose when you do coaching. You know, the worst thing you possibly could do is let's say you actually do a coaching program and it's bad. The worst thing that you can actually get from that program is if it discourages you from actually getting yourself involved in more coaching in the future, right? Because any high level performer, whether it's Sidney Crosby or it's like a mortgage agent, they have multiple coaches, right? Mm -hmm. Sidney Crosby probably has a mindset coach, a nutritional coach, 
a head coach, a power play coach, a penalty kill coach, right? So really like, you know, especially if you're the owner of your organization, who do you seek to for guidance if you don't have naturally the next level up, right? So, you know, if you are new, definitely recommend it. And it was really beneficial for me specifically. I love that whole idea. If you're not growing, you're dying. Kind of goes back to what I was talking about before. I'm like, man, yeah, there's lots of stuff that needs to be improved. But you know what? The best way to improve it is to have a positive mindset, to look back and go, look at the things we've already improved, these new things that are in front of us that look impossible to change, whatever that is. Let's tackle them one at a time and let's see where we're going to be in the next 25 to 50 years. That's just my mindset. That's how I think. Okay, in this upcoming clip, I talked to Jill Mollering, how she funded 47 files in her first 12 months. Have a listen and I'll come back and chat with you guys. The path of least resistance makes all rivers and most men crooked. Right. And Ooh, that's uh, good. I've never heard this quote before. You know what it's from? No idea. I have no oh. idea who wrote it. It was in a magazine. I just cut that out and I put that on my desk. And honestly, I think I followed that with most of my life. You know, like anything that's worth having, anything that's good, you got to work for it. Taking the easy route isn't paying off for you, right? And I think one of the biggest things, and probably in this industry where that sort of comes into line a little bit more, is you know, with tough files or situations where you're approached where, you know, it could be really easy to, you know, lie about that client not, you know, owning 50% of the shares in that company that they're paid a salary from. You know, like there's things that could be really easy, staying true, staying honest, and it might be harder. It might be more work to get that file done the right way. But that's something that I've really, you know, that's really been very important to me from this side of things is trying to make sure that we're doing it the right way, even if it's going to take a little bit more work, right? You know what? And it can be really easy to refer off a client. It can be really easy to say no to somebody because it's going to be a lot of work. I didn't do, you know, 47 files in my first year because everybody walked in with perfect credit and, you know, a boatload of cash, right? Like a lot of that stuff was a slog. I mean, some of it was even referrals off from other brokers that didn't want to deal with, you know, that mobile home purchase or that refinance on a, modular you know acreage thing and you know so digging through a lot of those harder files like you want to get to the good stuff you have to put the time in and the effort and I think you know ultimately just if you really want to succeed at this you have to work for it right Right. there's no get rich quick scheme in life in anything that we do and knowing that it's work right if you think that it's easy to come into you know the money or the income or whatever, or the levels here, I'm having a laugh, right? Yeah, like, you're, you're going to find it pretty quick. That's not actually the case. What do you think is the biggest challenge facing new mortgage brokers today? Training and lack of support from um, brokerages. I think there's a lot of new agents that come into this. There's a lot of brokerages that take on new agents that don't offer any mentorship, any training, any file review, any support. If you're a broker and you're taking on a team, your team should not have to go to the newbie group or ILMB, those are great resources to go to, but they should not need to be going there to get answers because they can't get an appointment time or a phone call or whatever from the team that they're under, right? Right. And I got some pretty strong feelings about that one. I don't know if we need to delve into that too much. Your podcast will be R-rated if we do that. Right. (laughs) But that's by far, I think, obviously, you know, being an admin on that Facebook group, I get a lot of messages from people and the stuff that I hear over and over and over and over again is, you know, comments like I've asked my broker or I asked my mentor, my principal broker, my broker owner, whatever. It's been two weeks. I haven't gotten a response. I had to make an appointment. My earliest appointment time is next week on Monday, but I don't know what I need to know to get 
ready for that appointment. And it's like, if you're joining into a brokerage, like you should be getting that support and training. You shouldn't need to make an appointment two weeks from now to get answers to a question that your clients want an answer to today. Right. Right. And then what's one movie that everyone should watch at least once. Okay. So I'm a huge, like bad movie fan. And like my husband and I, we really love horror flicks. Just the worse the movie is the better. So Right now, on the top of this, and we're talking stuff like Zombievers, like just terrible movies. The, right. <laughs> right now, on the top of this list is a movie that you can only find on YouTube. This movie's so bad that you can't find this anywhere else. You can watch it on YouTube, and it is called Velocipaster. And this is the story of a pastor who turns into a dinosaur and kills people. It's <laughs> Some of these movie concepts, even I was thinking we saw a snake yesterday walking a rattlesnake and I thought of that movie snakes on a train or plane rather. (laughs) And you're like, who comes up with these movie ideas of a velocipaster? That's another level of crazy. Also, as a priest dinosaur, he has to fight an ancient ninja tribe. It's everything you could ever need in a bad, you know, high school produced movie with terrible dinosaur costumes and ninja fight scenes. It's just the best thing I've probably (laughs) ever watched. So I have to say Jill's movie suggestion, which I had never heard of before, Velocipaster. If you want to have a laugh, go to YouTube, watch the trailer for it. You're going to die. Even if you never watched the movie, like I couldn't watch this. I feel like I'd lose IQ points. Maybe you think that, but go check out the clip for the trailer. It is flipping hilarious. Go check that out. Okay. In this next section, I talked to Ron Butler about stress tests, housing bubbles. Ron is one of the smartest mortgage brokers I know, and he is straight shooter, no nonsense. Like he minces no words. And I always enjoy my conversations with Ron and we always get a ton of downloads when Ron comes on the show. So check out this conversation that I have with Ron. So when they came up with this idea of the stress test, presumably they're doing it because they're thinking the housing market's going too fast and they're trying to slow it down. Will it actually work, do you think? What kind of effect would it have? You know, 4.3% should have no effect. How could it? Really? And I say, well, you know, it'll prevent people from getting the 1,140,000 house that they really should get. I don't know about that. I mean, like, is what I guarantee you, Scott. And you can't get these numbers because the lenders won't tell you. But if you could find a way to examine the vast increase in multiple applicants on mortgage applications, like, I will guarantee you the last six months and the coming six months will have more situations where there's more than two applicants on the mortgage application than the history of the Canadian mortgage business. Right. So in other words, people are trying to find any methodology, get a bigger gift from your parents, stress them to go deeper into their lines of credit on their houses, add three people, four people, five people to the mortgage application in order to qualify. So the question becomes, does a 4.3% reduction in total mortgage buying power have a real big impact on this market? I think the answer is probably no. Right. Okay. So what do you think would? Well, you know, these really are super easy answers, but they're difficult. They're difficult for politicians. So we just have to start from one key premise. The price of homes in Canada is batshit crazy. That is where we have to start. We can't step around that premise. We have to say, okay, have prices gone up too much? Should the prices in North Bay, Revelstoke, Brandon, Moncton, 
Is there any sense that they've gone up 35 to 40% in 12 months? Is that, does that seem like a normal sort of economic environment to you? What do you think, Scott? Does that seem normal? No, it's certainly not sustainable. And it's the best you know, technical term you could apply is batshit crazy. Okay, right. That is absolutely the best technical term. So if that's batshit crazy and the government stands back and says, you know what? Let's wave a flag at this. Let's just wave at this and say, we're going to do something with the stress test. Because at the end of the day, I don't really believe OSFI is a completely independent entity, especially when the Department of Finance decided the next day that they would do the same thing with insured mortgages as OSFI was doing with uninsured conventional mortgages. There's context to it. It's being done together. So if it's the choice of the government to do this, then they thought, there was something to worry about. There was something worth worrying about for sure. But not enough to worry about to get any blowback. If you listen to politicians talk about this, the main thing they say is we've got a big issue to contend with. We think prices might be going up too fast, like 40% in Revelstoke. I mean, 50% in Moncton. Yeah, maybe they're going up too fast. Right. So we think it's going up too fast, but... We cannot harm anyone who has enjoyed this increase in the equity in their home. It's too damaging. It's too problematic. Right. So if in reality, prices should come down 25%, which by the way, wouldn't even take them back to where the prices were a year ago or 18 months ago. Yeah. So if you think about that for a minute, it's really staggering. But anyway, let's just say that government's position is we can't do that because it's too damaging to the people who have equity in their homes. There'd be too much fallout, too much difficulty, too much pushback. So it becomes a kind of absurdity that the government is only willing to make tiny, minute changes and hope that it slows down all on its own, which it may, which it absolutely right. may, and not do anything fundamental at all to change the batshit crazy price of houses in Canada. So put me in charge. I take the prices of houses in Canada down 35% in three months. What would you do? How would you do it? You do mortgage rule changes. You do mortgage rule changes. You just make it really tough to buy rental properties, which has a bad impact in that there's a great need for rental properties in this country. You increase the stress test even more. It's so easy to make mortgage rule changes. It's effortless. Right. But it has this really massive effect on people's lives. Like, I'm not out of sympathy with the government. The government is in a tough spot. I mean, like, anything we do is going to leave some people mad at us. And the truth is, the people who are probably have the most reason to be mad at us, who are people who are like age 25 to 30, who are thinking to themselves, I'm never going to own a house ever unless it's in Nunavut. Actually, right. houses are pretty expensive in Nunavik, but like it's got to be in like 25 minutes outside of Fort Mac or 30 minutes outside of Thunder Bay or like just in the farthest reaches of the world. I'm never going to be able to own a house in the city I was born in. That's terrible. I might as well just move to the U.S. Or there's plenty of very low housing costs, beautiful cities available for people. 
So that's a bad thing in the end for those 25 to 30 year olds. But it's a slow creeping bad thing as opposed to a I'm going to vote you sons of bitches out bad thing that is if you take drastic action on mortgage rules. Right. So it's a political question that's hard to find an answer. So to. they can say they did something. Hey, remember we did this stress we test, this. but it yeah. wasn't enough to upset the majority of their voters who would be like, hey, wait a second, you just took 25% of the equity out of my home that I just won, by the way. It's kind of like my lotto winnings or yep. my casino winnings. It's like, hey, the yep. casino winnings and now, so yep. I get that. So just coincidentally, actually the next conversation I have is with Ron's son, Dave Butler, and they have diametrically opposed business models. So Ron's business is all high volume, ad-driven, rate business. They're very focused on you know providing the lowest rate. Dave's business is all on helping clients build wealth through real estate. So very few buy downs and it's all about the strategic use of debt. And very interesting how you can compare these two and how they can both be uber successful. Thing is guys, there's more than one way to build a successful mortgage business. And as Ron and Dave and the same family can attest, there's multiple ways to do it. So check out this conversation I have with Dave. So how's being part of like Butler with the rate discounting side, they're very marketing heavy. Has that been any challenges for you guys, given that that's not what you do? Yeah, it's very challenging, obviously, because, you know, they do have a great presence. Their strategy is out there in the sense of, you know, when you're dealing with Butler Mortgage, you're getting that, you know, it's all about low rates, fast processing it's in out you know the challenge there is that we're working with real estate investors and what a lot of people don't know maybe is that you know mortgages for investment properties is a whole different ball game in terms of interest rates than let's say someone who's buying their first house there was a massive government rule change back about five years ago that gave the big banks almost a monopoly on the investment mortgage side of the business where the smaller lenders basically were not able to compete in that game anymore through pricing. So the banks smartly realized that they were the only ones that could play this game. The only game in town. Price. So now mortgage rates for rentals went a little bit, not crazy, but I mean, a quarter percent, a half a percent higher. So obviously the challenge for us is, you know, we'll have a client, you know, they'll hear Dave Butler, they'll go see Butler mortgage. They'll see these crazy low rates on the website. And they'll contact us, say, hey, I bought an investment property. I want that low rate. Well, the problem is, is that rate's actually not available for that. So the challenge for us is really just an extra 10 minutes on the phone to have to explain to that client how it works. Certainly not a problem for us, but it does pose some challenges. So you basically have to compete. Like some people complain about competing with Butler. You compete with them on every single call because your name is Butler. And so, and obviously when you're selling strategy, solution, it doesn't matter. Like at the end of the day, you're helping people build wealth. You know, they're not getting hung up over a quarter of a percent because it's about the solutions that you guys are providing. Okay. So so you mentioned something before we got on the call that you do no marketing. So what's the secret to consistently like maintaining such a high volume of business? Cause you guys have been, you're probably like number one team in Canada. I don't know. You probably are, but what's the secret to being so consistent? It was really just, you know, at 38, I had a massive heart attack. I almost died. I had to get a stent put into my heart. I have metal in my heart. And that was an eye opener for me to make some big changes. But to answer your question, I think it was really just tenacity, tenaciousness. We don't like to lose. We treat our team like it's a sports team. We go all out. We are doing anything we can to win within the rules. And I think our clients really like that. The real estate agents that we work with like that. 
the investment clubs we work with like that. And so when you build your business on that, you know, if you're doing it right, you shouldn't have to look for where your deals are coming from. Your deals should be coming into you from all your referral sources. And so when we wake up, as I was saying to you before we started the podcast, we have a very interesting problem. I haven't mined my database for 12 years. We don't have a website. I don't even go on social media. We don't even have a social media presence because if we were to do that right now, we don't have the staff to handle barely our leads we have now. So if I was to go and try and bring in more leads, I would actually blow up my own staff. The problem is when you're in a service first business, meaning, you know, we are service first. As soon as you overload your system, the output gets bad. And now if you're in a service first business, now your real estate agents, your investments clubs are calling you saying what's going on. And maybe now they turn the top down. We want to always be at a level where they want to turn the top up on us. And then we have to then make our move to kind of match you know, I find a lot of mortgage brokers are so hesitant to hire. They're like, oh, I got to do everything myself. And obviously you can't be a service focused business without a team. And so I'm just curious, like on that, how does that work? Well, I can tell you for the first 17 years of my career, I was the guy who waited till things were too crazy. You know, I was waiting till I was figuring out, well, oh, wow, I have so much work. I can't go to bed at 4 a.m. I'm having to go to bed at 6 a.m. and wake up at 9. And that's finally when I would hire someone. It wasn't until... It would have been the end of 2019. This is after I've had the heart attack and I had really decided I want to make some changes in my business. I hired an office manager for the first time who had an HR background. And at that point she came in and uh, I got to say, she's still to this day, probably the best hire that I've ever done. That was the non kind of mortgage type person. Didn't have any knowledge of the mortgage business at all. Her knowledge and her skill set was that she's able to come into businesses see what they're doing wrong and make tweaks to them and put them into the 21st century. I mean, at the time when I hired her, we walked around with paper files in our office and passed them from department to department. There was no online, there was no cloud, there was nothing. We were archaic, you know? So when I hired her, that's when everything changed. She came in, she immediately got us paperless we ended up finally getting a digitized office processing system. And in that, she also changed the way we hire. We started hiring before we needed the people. We were getting resumes before, so we were now ahead of the curve. I can say this as a stat for you. In COVID, March of 2020, our team was about 18 people. Myself, my business partner, and then 18 staff. We now, a year and like three, four months later, have almost doubled that at 35, 36 staff members. And we are now trying to grow before and doing things quite different. And we've really noticed the difference. I mean, you know, we had high volume last year, but it's interesting to note that six months into 2021, we are 80% at what we did on volume of all last year. And so we're tracking for just a massive increase. Now, obviously, Do you think you could have done that lot. without the team, like without investing in the team and stuff? No, no chance. All right, so love chatting with Dave. It was the first time I ever got a chance to have him on the show. I will definitely have him on again in the future. The guy is a massive producer. In this upcoming conversation, I chat with Ryan Wiley. So he's one of the coaches at our 10 Loans a Month Academy, one of our top rated favorite coaches. People absolutely love Ryan. And the thing I love about Ryan, man, he is like, 
you meet him and you're like, is this guy like, you know, yeah, and I can say this to him because I say this to his face all the time, but, and we are actually very similar this way, but he'll literally be wearing like a hoodie and flip-flops. Like, is that guy like homeless? And yet, I know he's not homeless, but, and he's wicked smart. Like just when you start talking to him, you go, wait a second. He's got a ridiculous sales skills. He's got an amazing mind for marketing. And he's got another podcast that we produce for him called The 12-Hour Broker. You can go check that out. And so let's listen to this conversation I have with Ryan. And so there's a quote from Steve Jobs, and I usually butcher it, but I've got it up here. So I'm actually going to read it word for word. But it's uh, remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. And that basically just says anything that you were scared to do in your business, pick up the phone, put yourself out there, social media, create a webinar, like you're going to die. (laughs) Like the end is coming. You literally have nothing to lose. And so I always go back to that whenever there's like a point where I'm like, should I do this or should I not do it? I think of that quote and I go, I'm doing it. Doesn't matter what it is. And I go. Right. So it basically that fear that often people face when they're doing something new and where they don't do it or fear of rejection, fear of trying something. You're just like, I'm going to die. That's kind of like the self-talk that you do. Pretty much. Yeah. I don't remember the exact quote when I think about it. I just remember I'm going to die. (laughs) Right. So. Giddy up, let's go, who cares? And the interesting thing you touched on a second ago, you talked about, you know, the suits and the C-level executives, and you're the kind of guy who crushes a pretty good volume wearing a hoodie and a backwards hat, right? Like, so tell me about that, like, because that's more your jam. Yeah, that's something that's morphed over the years. I used to wear a suit every day in Toronto, downtown Toronto, doing mortgages. I'd go to suit, sit with my mentor, and it was great, and I learned a lot doing that, but I never felt like me. It just wasn't me buying suits, wearing suits, not my jam. And so slowly, especially over the past couple of years, you know, the way I talked to clients, I felt like I had a little bit of an imposter syndrome and it was, I couldn't be myself all the time. I felt like I had to be something to get certain types of clients. And now I literally wear a hat, a hoodie, shorts, flip-flops. That's what I wear every day. And I will go on camera. I don't comb my hair when I go on camera with clients. You did once, actually. Recently, I saw you on a video, and I was like, you did your hair. Like, this is crazy. Know, you, you never do your hair. I did. And, and you know what? The way I talk to clients, and it's just because I like to, I'm building my tribe of people that like me and love me. And, you know, I talk to CEOs of companies, and I'm like, hey, dude, is this time still work for a chat? And he's like, yeah, sure. Because most people, they're living that other life where it's like, you're trying to be something you're not and you're trying to act a certain way. I act the same way every day, no matter who I'm talking to. It's way less energy too, because you're just being yourself. I think authenticity, being authentic, I think that's king. I think if you do that and then certain things you do in a day, it makes it a little easier to do if it's things that you don't like doing because you're just being yourself. But if I have to change the way I talk to people, and the way that I dress, already I feel like I'm doing stuff I don't want to do. Yeah. When you're authentic, it takes less energy. You're going to attract the right people. And it's when you try to be somebody else that's when, you know, it's not going to work out. Yeah, I can't be everything to everyone. And I know there's people that don't come across my plate or don't want to work with me because of whatever. But I'm okay. Like, I just keep going this way. And it's like, I just keep bringing people with me. And those people, like, they stick with me. So it's pretty cool. It's kind of nice waking up every day, just knowing Like, I don't have to go be someone. I can just do exactly what I want to do and act how I want to act and let the chips fall where they fall. 14 years ago, and you could sit down and say, Ryan, these are three pieces of advice you must have from the future. What would they be? Well, number one would be, I said at the beginning, you got to get comfortable with being uncomfortable. And so you need to put yourself out there. 
I didn't do that for the first four years. I wanted to hide behind a keyboard and I'm not like an outgoing guy. And just to go talk to people one-on-one, I'm great, but I just didn't like presenting or doing any of that. But if I would have put myself out there a lot sooner, my business would have grown a lot quicker. Number two, I would track every client, every lead, every application, and I would build that list, like your database, essentially. I didn't do that for the first four or five years. And so every year I was starting my business, 2017 rolls around, I'm dealing with whoever I find in 2017, whereas everyone else is dealing with clients from 2013, 14, 15, 16. I was starting fresh every year. Mm -hmm. Um, So put yourself out there, build the list. And then number three would be finding out sooner than later who that avatar client is, because I was doing B deals, private deals, commercial, residential, and not even for me, for your client. Like I was doing a disservice to my clients. I would do B deals for them and I'd get the deal done. And then I would actually talk to a B expert three months later and find out I didn't do the best job for them. And I was doing my clients a disservice because I wasn't a master in anything. And so now I've got that dialed in. So I would kind of figure out who your avatar is. All right. Always enjoy my conversations with Ryan. In this next coming conversation, I talked to Janine Ewell. So she was one of our clients from our 10 Loans a Month Academy. We dive into failure, why she doesn't meet clients face to face, and the DeLorean question, which we loved her answer on that. Let's have a listen to this conversation I have with Janine. I really like Thomas Edison. So many of life's failures are people who did not realize how close they were to success when they gave up. I think that's something that I've always kind of internalized and just it's kind of been the catalyst to continue to keep going Mm because I have to say in the last 18 months there's more times than I can count when I was ready to say I was ready to throw in the towel and give up it was so hard if I'm honest trying to parent and homeschool four children right with um, COVID and and you're You're like significantly busier than you know, when you obviously when I had young children. Yeah, that's yeah. exactly it. I mean, trying to work a 50 to 60 hour work week and do everything that, you know, be the, what I needed to be as a mom to my children and a teacher, in essence, something I was never trained to do. It was really difficult to not throw in the towel of my career that I've worked so hard to build. Right. That's um, really but, persistent. So how have you applied that yeah. to your life or business? very tangibly, just, you know what, keeping going when I felt like I couldn't keep going. And you know what, sometimes uh, superficial as it sounds, that's literally just continuing to go through the motions, even when you're not in it. Because at some point, you kind of do push forward and get past that so that you can be truly in it again. Having great mentors, having people in this profession who have been kind enough to pick up the phone when I was at my wit's end, when I was mm-hmm. done, that has been a huge thing. And especially with you know the lack of socialization that so many of us had in COVID, you know, I had a few amazing mentors and a few amazing people who were, you know, gracious enough to let me vent and just be that for me when I really needed it. Prior to COVID, what percentage of people would you meet face to face? 30 to 35 percent of my clients I was probably meeting face to face but in my experience and this may be not everyone's but I found that by and large the clients who wanted to meet in person were trying to convince me why they should be entitled to a mortgage they were if I'm honest a waste of my time more often than not the clients who were serious the clients who were qualified the clients who were good quote-unquote leads when I hop on the phone with them I get a really good framework and an understanding of what their situation is and then I would request documents and actually make something happen and I'm not spending now 
you know, time on the roads, time waiting for people. It's just not, I, it yeah, wasn't yeah, a good somebody use needs my to time. see Because I know if you're trying to sell something, if you can get in front of somebody, they're trying to sell themselves on you. So they know they got to get in front of you to do it. But exactly. unfortunately, it doesn't work that way because, you know, you can't make every file work or every situation. So um, exactly. No, you're 100% right. One of the last clients that I remember meeting in person before COVID was a client I met. They insisted on meeting me and I did it more as a favor to the realtor. We met at the realtor's office out in Mississauga and they spent the next hour and 10 minutes, but I will never get back trying to convince me that their less than $20,000 combined Uber income that they had been doing for the last four months was sufficient to get a one point something million dollar mortgage like this realtor had really pressured me and I remember thinking I will never allow a realtor to have that level of control again and I will never meet another client like this again in person right. was, because you don't actually yeah. you're wasting their time too they don't know it but you're absolutely actually, so okay now sure. if a realtor tries to do this to you what's your conversation look like so if I'm a realtor and I'm like hey Janine I got these clients I really want you to meet them how do you navigate that or how do you stick handle it I would actually offer the opportunity to send the realtor the link to my calendar so that the client can go ahead and book into my calendar using Calendly. They can book into it either a call or a Zoom. And if the realtor is really insistent on a face-to-face appointment, most of mine at this point, I have as bad as, I don't want to know trained is the right word, but yeah, I have you sort of, of... You're always training people and not in a bad way, but in a yeah. like, hey, here's how I work. And if they don't want to work exactly. that, they'll go somewhere else. Exactly. A lot of my realtors now understand that this is how I operate. But if there was someone that I was working with that was new and they weren't, you know, that would be how I would initiate the process. And if they were really insistent on me meeting the client in person, the comment I would make is that I'm happy to do that once we have an actual live approval for them. 99 times out of 100, the client, once we've already gotten to that point, we built enough rapport. Like if there was a deal to be they don't had want, there, They don't want to meet now. No, exactly. They got what they needed. I got them the mortgage. They're happy. And, you know, we might have a Zoom call and go over everything if that's what their desire is. But it becomes a non-concern at that point. No one's interested. Okay. So DeLorean question. Remember the movie Back to the Future? I put you in the DeLorean car, send you back to your first day as a mortgage broker, and you could give yourself some advice. What would be three pieces of advice you'd give yourself? Okay. Hire an assistant sooner. Yep. Track everything. And don't get so caught up in dollar volume. It's your bottom line that ultimately matters when it comes down to it. I'm not feeding my family in basis points. I'm feeding my family with the commission that I earn. So You're talking about pay attention to the net income, not necessarily the volume that the industry brags about. That's exactly right. I mean, $70 million in business is an amazing thing for anyone. But the reality is if you're making 25 points a deal, it is not the same as making a hundred points a deal. So right. keeping in mind that I don't feed my kids with basis points. I feed my kids with. That could be a new cereal basis points that you sell to mortgage brokers. I got to create a cereal called basis points. Hey kids, you're going to get basis points for. Frost and covered basis points. That's right. Yeah, that'd be hilarious. All right. So check out this upcoming conversation I had with John Webster. So he's the president of Scotia Mortgages. Like basically he's like the dude. Anything to do with mortgages that Scotia Bank touches and they're a massive lender if you're not from Canada. Well, even they're in a lot of places actually. I was down in Mexico and I went to a Scotia Bank. But so in the Canadian mortgage space, he is the dude when it comes to mortgages. And so we talk about interest rates, why brokers should be optimistic and just trends. Have a listen to that. That's from episode 337. If you want to go back and listen to the full thing, have a listen and I'll come back. So obviously nobody can predict where rates will be in 12 months, but I got to imagine in your position, you must be some things you watch. Like, so are there some key indicators or 
things that you keep an eye on that kind of gives you an idea of where rates are trending? Absolutely. The better part of every day is spent on thinking about rates, thinking about rate movements, thinking about the impact of rate movements on your pipeline when it's that big going forward. Because essentially when you write a commitment, you're writing a 90-day free option to a borrower, right? And if rates move up, your spread gets compressed even further, though we do hedge our pipeline. The reality is that the mortgage market historically, if you went backwards to when we've been measuring the data points, has always been a proxy for the GDP of the country. So if growth is around 3 or 4% year, a mortgage market typically runs a little bit better than GDP. That's not been the case now because of the pent-up demand going into the pandemic, the circumstances where people were chasing all kinds of other dwellings during the pandemic. And even without immigration, you know, we've had double-digit growth in our mortgage book, which is I've never seen in my lifetime. And the reality of that is ultra-low interest rates drive demand. So you would know this from the business, right? Mm -hmm. To me, I find it kind of strange that people are thinking that if they pay more than 2%, that rate's too high. But that's the conditioning that's happened in the marketplace. It's bonkers. It's absolutely bonkers. Right. And, you know, I hear people send me emails and I wonder if they reread them when they're saying, you know, your 199 isn't as good as 179. And I'm like, are you kidding me? Really? But when you look at it, two things happen. It's really low. So it's a good time to borrow that money for the long term. And when it's an amortized product in particular, and you look at your payment every month, more than half of that is going to creating equity for you. And so I still say to anybody, if you're looking at renting versus buying in this ultra low interest rate environment, you've got to give strong consideration to purchasing because you're building equity and creating wealth every month. That ultra low interest rate environment is not going to continue. You've seen in the media reports about how much inflation is there and is it transitory or is it permanent? And because we're coming out of COVID and because of the supply chain interruptions, nobody's been able to make a call on it. But for sure, in my view, rates are going to be higher next year than they are now. And I think you'll see it won't be a dramatic slope up, but it'll start to slope up. So rates will rise. So what drives mortgages are low rates. What drives housing are low rates and also household formation. And Canada has committed to taking on more than 400,000 new Canadians every year. And the bank has spent a lot of time, our senior economists, our commercial lenders, our residential folks, and we've looked at the housing supply in Canada. And for the last 10, 15 years, we haven't kept up with the demand. And as a result, we're creating 100,000 units too few that we need every year. Even if we add another 100,000 over the next 10 years, we'll still be behind. So as long as we have this high level of household formation, which is overwhelmingly driven by immigration. And our immigration policies typically attract people that want to come here and have high levels of education, also have some money. And most of those new Canadians, when they get here within two to three years, want to buy a house. Mm-hmm. And so that's really driven the housing market, particularly as they disproportionately show up in our larger urban cities like Toronto and Vancouver and Montreal. And as a result, those places that are doing well as those economies continue to grow on their own organically create wealth. So more people want to buy housing. 
then you add on the power of immigration and you've got strong, strong housing demand. And unfortunately, the levels of government haven't streamlined the process so that we can build enough housing stock. And that's not just for people that want to be homeowners, that's as well for renters mm -hmm. and subsidized housing. We're very, very, very far behind where we need to be to address the supply side. I think you should be optimistic if you're a mortgage broker looking forward. You offer a service and it's a reasonably sophisticated service because the mortgage rules, as you know, have changed so many times in the past five, 10 years that it's not an easy thing to understand what is required to qualify for those low interest rates or to maximize your loan amount. So you need people that are specialists that do this every day and brokers do that. Good mortgage brokers are incredibly valuable to people making a purchase like that. What people forget about is the consumer doesn't have to pay anything. I mean, look at that. There's a service. You as a consumer going out to buy a house can retain a mortgage broker and the lender pays. I mean, what a great service. So in my view, given the way brokers increasingly are positioned, the way that as they grow in the business can move away from just depending on referral sources to their own book of business. You know, the good brokers, in my view, are a lot like good restaurants. The next thing you know, you're recommending family members and friends, and it builds like that, and then they'll come back to you. So I think if you provide that kind of service, they have lots to look forward to. And most of the ones that I work with and have known over the years are very dedicated into making this their vocation. They're not leaving in three years or five years. They're going to stay at that. In fact, I know many of them that then bring their kids into the business. So I think that it's a sustainable business. One of the challenges are the acquisition costs. Originating mortgages through mortgage brokers is the most expensive acquisition channel for me as a lender. And so, you know, that's always a tough thing because spreads your challenge by cost of funds, interest rate movements in the market that happen on a daily basis and can squeeze your margins. But your acquisition costs are always fixed. And I have no problem paying as long as I can achieve the efficiencies that I need in the business. So that's always sort of the trade-off. But I think a broker should be optimistic. They have lots to look forward to. They'll continue, you know, as the report said, they're picking up market share. All right, so hopefully you found those conversations to be valuable, insightful. If you missed them earlier this year, you can go back and in the notes, you'll be able to find those full episodes so you can go listen to those. But if you also want to keyword search all of our podcast episodes, so if you go to ilovemortgagebrokering.com, you can set up a free power search account and basically you can keyword search every single episode we've ever created. So if we say the word purple, so purple it will literally find this episode you'll be able to click on it within like very quickly you type in the word purple boom it's going to come right to this spot and be like hey this is scott where scott's talking about purple you can talk about interest rates you can talk about variable fix whatever thing you can dream up it will find it for you it is absolutely amazing so go check that out it's totally free to use also, if you're listening to this, we have a 10 loans a month academy. So we train mortgage brokers that are making a minimum of 100K a year and up at our 10 loans a month academy. And we have some amazing coaches. Ryan is one of them. And go check out 10loansamonth.com. Get put on the wait list there. We are currently full. So if you're listening to this, when it comes out live, we are full and we open up the doors a few times a year. And we always sell out every single time because all of our coaches are successful mortgage brokers 
who do a little bit of coaching with us, but their primary income and earning is from being a mortgage broker. So it's a very unique program that we've developed. Check out 10loansamonth.com. That's the number 10. Thanks again for checking out this episode. Thank you for, this was amazing. This is the best year ever we've had for downloads. We've had hundreds of thousands of downloads this year of our shows. We have a lot of cool things planned for the next year. So keep your eyes open for that. Like I said before, I'm very optimistic. I know that the world's crazy, that we're getting shut down again and COVID and all this stuff. But honestly, I still am excited to be alive. And I'm going to just keep going until I either get you know abducted by aliens or I'd fall over dead at some point. But you know, hopefully that doesn't happen anytime soon. But in the meantime... I am excited about where we're going and our opportunities as an industry, even as a country. So we'll be hearing from me a lot in the next year with some of the cool stuff we're doing. Thanks again. This is an I Love Mortgage Brokering production.